On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about your money. Talking about the carbon tax, which is your money. Talking about sending vaccines to other countries with your money. A lot of th- lot of questions. These are nuanced issues. We'll dive into that. We're also talking with Don Robertson about all kinds of things, including players not talking to the media, including Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, and including whether or not the Cleveland Indians should change their name as we hear they're going to do. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I want to talk a few things about finances first up today. Federal finances, countrywide finances. Starting with the carbon tax, which you heard is coming in, the, the, the we've known for a while the federal government is going to be bringing this. They've made their intentions clear for some time now. And we've learned that, well, we've learned a lot more specifics about the carbon tax that is going to be brought in. Uh, by next year, we're going to be paying 2.3 more cents a liter for gasoline. Uh, by 2022, it'll be an extra 12 cents a liter. So two years from now, an extra 12 cents a liter of taxes on your gasoline. And by 2030, 39.6 more cents per liter on your gasoline when you go to the pumps. Now, the government says this is going to be neutral because you're going to get refunds and rebates and on and on. And so you won't even notice. You believe it? Aaron Woodrick is the president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He joins us now. Eric, thanks for doing, or Aaron, thanks for doing this today. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. I'll even call you by the right name the rest of the show, I promise. Um, great. This this carbon, I, I'm having a hard time believing that when we're talking about 39.6 cents, now I know that's 10 years from now, but even, you know, by 2022, 2026, we're going 12 cents or 25 cents a liter more in taxes. I'm finding it very hard to believe that those of us who drive, even after we get our rebates, are going to come out of this ahead or even. Yeah, and it's it's sort of magic math, right? They're saying we're going to tax you, but we're going to collect it all and we're going to spit it all back out in a way that everyone's better off. And I just think a lot of people uh, find that very hard to believe. And the other thing, uh, Scott, is if this is such a great idea, I really don't understand why they didn't run on this in the election. In fact, the environment minister was explicitly asked, will you raise the carbon tax after 2022? She said, no, they have no plans to. So I'm going to go as far as to say, and I don't say this often, they lied about their intentions. And uh, that's why I think it's particularly troubling here. I mean, there's some people applauding them for bravery. Well, it would have been brave and courageous if they had been open about this in advance and said, we are are going to raise costs on you. Um, We need to do this for X, Y, Z, but, you know, it's going to be more expensive. And they didn't do that. And I think uh, especially right now, given the situation with the economy and with the pandemic, a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads. Is, Is this really the right move to sort of layer costs on top of people right at a time when they're most vulnerable? Well, I mean, yeah, there is that, of course. I mean, this is a time when people are stressed out like crazy, many people financially, even those who have jobs are worried, those who haven't had jobs, you know, obviously. This does seem like a weird time to say, oh, by the way, here's a giant new tax. And again, they say you're going to get rebates for it. I have my doubts, but but the timing, it does seem like a weird time, almost like opportunistic, shall I throw out there. 
Yeah, and look, <clears throat> I, I, the rebates, the legislation right now requires them to rebate the money. And if you're someone, for example, who lives in a, in a large city and you're able to change your lifestyle in a way, you may, you may come out better off. But there are a lot of people who don't have those choices. There are a lot of people who rely on driving for their livelihood as part of their life where they live. And those are the people that are going to be under pressure. The other thing, too, is there's nothing that's going to stop the government from taking that rebate away. That's exactly what we saw in British Columbia. They had a revenue-neutral carbon tax, but over time, the government decided, oh, you know, that's a big pot of money there, and they just started taking the revenue. And that's my fear here is with governments, when you install that sort of money tap in the wall, you can say, oh, we'll turn off this other one, but it's awfully hard for governments to resist later on turning that other tap back on. But Aaron, here's why I don't believe that we're going to come out neutral because you could end up getting back some rebate for this thousand bucks, 1500, whatever they say it's going to be. And that may cover your gas over the year or whatever else, but it's going to cost more for people to produce and deliver food and other products and everything else. And those costs are all going to be passed down to us. So over the course of a year, I find it hard to believe we're not, even if that rebate stays, that we're not going to be paying a lot more. Well, you're right. And that's why, I mean, people focus on gasoline because it's the obvious thing. But of course, anything that's transported on a truck is going to be impacted by the price. The other thing that the government does not want to mention is sales taxes. Sales taxes are layered on top of gas prices and other things. So they're not rebating the GST on these things. So there are additional costs that are hidden in here uh, that the government would prefer you not talk about. I, I did have to wonder when I read this, is there a secret strategy the liberals have formulated, the federal liberals have formulated, that provides them a better path to victory if they don't get a single vote out West? Because I can't believe anybody who already, that's already a blue part of the country, anybody there is happy about this and more likely to vote for them. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's, it's frustrating as someone, you know, I love my country like most Canadians, and I think there is a real disconnect. Uh, people out West, and at the CTF we have a lot of supporters out there, they are angry. And I, I am talking, you know, I, I was in Quebec uh, in Montreal in 1995 during the referendum. The, the degree of anger I see in Western Canada when I am out there and talk to people, it is unbelievable. And I think this is going to make it worse. And I really hope that the Trudeau government, uh, you know, starts to realize this because this is a real kick in the teeth uh, to some parts of the country more than others. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Aaron, we learned today and this is tricky because we, we learned today that, the, that our country is going to spend something in the neighborhood of $485 million to send vaccines and other equipment to do with COVID to developing nations, which is an idea that I applaud. I love the generosity. I love the thought that we're going to help other parts of the world, people who don't have as much as we do. The part of this, though, that I pause at for a moment is I would feel so much better about this if we hadn't spent so much money already and planned to spend so much money more and our deficit and our debt were not in the state it's in, which then makes me say, can we afford this? Yeah, and you know, you're touching on something that when it, when it comes to spending money outside the country on anything, this is and this is well before the vaccines, a lot of Canadians, um, it's not that they're not generous people. It's that it's, it's a fair question to say, if we can't even take care of our own people first, right? And First Nations is a good example of this, right? A lot of people said, why are we sending money to help needy people in other countries if we can't even take care of needy people here at home? Um, and I think that's a fair point to make. 
on the uh, on the deficit, like I, I I have mild criticism of the government for the early days in spending. They had to move pretty quickly, so I'm more forgiving then. I am very troubled about the go forward. I mean, in this fiscal update we had a few weeks ago, the government essentially promised to spend a hundred billion dollars and then they figure out what to spend it on later. And I think that's rather backwards. You sort of, you figure out what you need and you find the money for it. You don't just pick a number and say, we're going to spend this and we'll, you know, find something to spend it on as we go. Could not this, well, maybe it will. I was going to say, could not this 485 million at least come out of the money that's already been promised to spend as opposed to finding more? Maybe it will come out of that pot. I don't know. Yeah, it depends. I mean, a lot of the programs that they rolled out were obviously done very quickly. So they've overshot their budget on some things. They've undershot them on others. So, I mean, hopefully uh, the numbers come in a little bit lower. But so far, what we've seen is those uh, those estimates, unfortunately, keep getting revised upwards, not downwards. And that must be a shock to everybody. We're going to spend, wait, it costs more to do stuff? Come on, that never happens. Never happens. Not with government, but it, no. Well, and Eric, Aaron, you know, what am I calling you, Eric? I've never, I, I've never once called you Eric in my life. And suddenly you're Eric Woodrick. I don't know, Aaron Woodrick. Um, the problem, and you just touched on it, if you express any concern about this, and it's not the concern about sharing, it's not the concern about helping others. I think I say most Canadians are exceedingly generous. If you express any concern about this, I think you're going to be positioned as an elitist, first world greedy jerk. Come on, we got to help. And I agree with that. But let's let's find the money. Let's save some other money in some places where we're just wasting it and put it towards something useful like this, as opposed to just throwing everything out there. Well, and that's really that's really the position that myself and my organization have been taking since the pandemic started. I mean, we've taken a lot of heat for certain things, but we say like it's not that you shouldn't spend, it's not that you shouldn't help people, but it's still fair to you know, improve to provide constructive criticism saying you're, you're, you've got a good goal here, but you're spending more than you need to, to achieve it. And I think that applies to a number of programs this government has rolled out. No one has a problem with, you know, giving money to people who truly need it. But if your program is leaking money all over the place to people who don't, maybe you need to fix the, the criteria for your program. So you're not wasting so much money. I wasn't going to go here and it just dawned on me. I've seen a number of stories in recent days about people who are now being told they have to pay back their CERB. And they are shocked by this and they're very sad stories because they're, you know, thousands of dollars. Should this be something that receives criticism or is this something that, you know what, if you took CERB and you weren't eligible, we don't have sympathy for you. Too bad, so sad. How How do we see this the way these stories play out? I think it's going to depend on the circumstances, right? It's just like uh, it's just like when CRA comes after people. If you deliberately defrauded because you knew you weren't entitled and you took the money, then I think you, they just throw the book at you. But if you didn't know or you weren't clear and you honestly believed you had no intention to defraud, then I don't. I think you go easy on them. So I, I think it's going to depend. And I think there are plenty of people who made an honest mistake, and then I don't think they should be, you know, punished for this severely. But for people who do, I mean, if there are cases where there's egregious, deliberate, fraudulent activity. I think most Canadians say absolutely throw the book at them. All right, we got a few seconds. Let's just go back to the vaccine idea and the helping idea for a moment. Part of the reason we seem to be able to be in the position to do this is because according to reports, Canada has bought enough or at least put down reservations on enough COVID vaccine to inoculate every Canadian five times. And I don't mean the two, like five times times two. So 10 10 shots. Is that good planning or is that just overspending uh that's a tough one and it's going to depend on how quickly it rolls out i think a lot of people i think the government's view is probably it's better to have a little too much than too little because if there's too little you can imagine uh you can imagine how upset people would be
Yeah, that is a tricky one because uh, f five times seems like a lot unless we are planning for a giant baby boom, which I was unaware of. Maybe, maybe the COVID baby boom, everyone's been stuck at home and we're now expecting 30 million babies to be born. Um, anyway, uh, Aaron Woodrick, Aaron Woodrick. I can write that one down. Aaron Woodrick, apologies today, Aaron. Uh, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Scott. That is, uh, I don't know what that was all about. I don't know where I came up with Eric. Aaron Woodrick, he's been on the show a bunch of times. Uh, it, it, these are tricky things. This one, especially about the giving the virus, the virus, giving the vaccines to other countries. It is an honorable gesture. It really is. And I, I support the idea wholeheartedly. I think if we can do it and there are countries that can't afford it or that don't have the vaccine, I think it's a really good thing that we do this. I applaud that. I just hope and wish that somehow it's only a financial thing that we could find that money from money that we're blowing somewhere else on things that we don't need to be blowing. We're, we're talking about, remember, we're talking about now going forward with $100 billion deficits. That, that Surely somewhere in there, we can lop some back and say, here's half a billion from that, that, you know, it's not more that we're going to hit Canadians for. We're already going to be hammered by this stuff. And believe me, anyone who thinks that you're not going to be impacted in any way by taxes or whatever else, you're dreaming. I love helping other people. I love that Canada would help other people. Let's just not take advantage of can Canadians' largesse. We're, 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 we're contributing a lot, tax-wise, I mean. We're contributing a lot. Let's keep it within that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson. He is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and of ComChoice Realty and the 2014 Dundas Citizen of the Year. And certainly at some point in the future, the Citizen of the Year again, unquestionably. Sir, how are you this evening? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm well. How was the cream soda? Last week we talked about cream soda. You said you have one cream soda a year, and I understand some showed up in your office. I'm a happy listener, eager to fill you with your yearly dose of cream soda delivered. I said once a year. It was delivered the next morning. They said they enjoyed the show, and I'm saving it because it hasn't been, hasn't been quite time for another cream soda yet. So it's in the fridge. <laughs> You know, you've got half the ingredients for a Shirley Temple right there. Yeah, and as you are more than aware, <laughs> I'm a big Shirley Temple fan. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing, that, I'm guessing the last key. time you had a Shirley Temple was about 1957. No, I've never had a Shirley Temple. I think my dad started giving me straight whiskey when I was about eight. <laughs> Pardon me. Well, yeah, that's uh, so. No, no Shirley Temples. I don't think there were Shirley Temples when I was a kid. And and fifty. Well, no, there was a Shirley Temple. There was the person, the Shirley Temple. So I mean, it's hard yeah, to have a drink, but, but but not a drink. And thank goodness, even at fifty-eight, I was too young to be having such a thing. So, but thanks for your observation. <laughs> there is. Um, I'm not sure what would be more awkward to, for a young person, a kid, to go into a restaurant and try to order booze or for a grown adult to go into a restaurant and ask for a Shirley Temple. I'm not sure which one throws people off more. Uh, I would think the adult ordering a Shirley Temple, at least the adults I'm hanging around with, 
None of them are going to order Shirley Temple. <laughs> I think for your next team party, just when you order a round for the team, just go Shirley Temple's all around and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. That'd be the end of the team bonding, I tell you. <laughs> well, they might wonder. They might wonder. Um, they, they might wonder. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be um, committed. Well, or they'd make you drink all their Shirley Temples, and it you know it wouldn't be that the it wouldn't be that you'd have alcohol poisoning; you'd be in a diabetic coma. Yes, that'd be enough sugar to suit you for the year. Yep, yep. Uh, I, I said last week that cream soda and grape crush should both come with an insulin injection because both of them will uh, <laughs> will do it to you. But anyway, a uh, lot of things I want to get to, Don. We're going to blow through a bunch of things here today. R- reports yeah. out of Cleveland say that the Cleveland baseball team, the Cleveland Indians, are about to change their name. They don't know to what yet. There's been no announcement. But, you know, in 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 a move towards political correctness and not having names that somebody could be offended by, the Indians team name is going to be changed. Good idea or bad idea? Um, that's a trap. Um, I... I I guess in 2020, it's something that, that probably has to be looked at and perhaps has to be done. But when I think of names like the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Chicago Blackhawks, and I, of course, I haven't been able to do any research because you don't tell me what we're going to talk about, but um, is was done out of respect. And I think if a historical lens is used as to where the name came from and if it was because of athletic ability uh, tenacity uh, willingness to compete and if that is where some of the names were developed out of pure respect for the when the Cleveland Indians were named or the Chicago Blackhawks were named I think it might be looked at under a different lens so I don't know where the origin came from and or the statistical data behind it, if in fact there was any. But I think if we knew all that, we might look at it in a different way. So I, you know, in 2020, I mean, that's just the way things are. But I'd really like to take a good look at where the names originally came from to see if there was any offense intended and see who was offended today. Well, two good points there. I mean, the, the answer, or at least one of the answers, because apparently nobody knows for certain. That, that's the, if you read stuff, nobody is positive, but the the commonly held view is the Indians were named after a guy named Alex Sokalexis, who played for the Indians and was their best player and was a Native American, and they called it the Indians for the reason you said, that it was an honoring thing as opposed to a mocking thing. Um, so... But the other point you make is that it's, you know, it's 2020. And even if it was a thing honoring him, uh, does anybody who are people going to go and look up that information? Are people going to go and find the history or is it just easier to say that's offensive? And so we got to get rid of it because some people are going to be offended no matter what, Don. And that other point you make about who is offended, you know, that's a really interesting one too, because it seems and this is by no means any kind of scientific poll. It's just anecdotal picked up by little, that some Native Americans are offended by it and some are not. And they think it's great because it honors the Indian people. So 
who knows? But I, I mean, you're right. It's 2020. And I don't think that people are, a lot of people anyway, are injecting a lot of nuance into the discussion. If there's something you can be offended by, we're going to be offended by it. So you better just get rid of it. Well, and I, can, I, I thought a lot about and have a number of North American natives that I call personal friends. And uh, in my era, none of them were ever offended by that. As a matter of fact, I asked, perhaps I've told this story before, Gaylord Paulus's dad, Ross, who Gaylord may have been the greatest lacrosse player to ever set foot on the planet. Probably. Um, back in the early 90s after a Brantford smoke game, if that term was relevant and is he offended by it? And he looked at me and he says, when you come over to the reserve, it says Indian reservation. I went, okay. I said, are you offended? He said, no. A lot of things that are, that were called offends me, but that isn't. Now that was 1992 or 93. Does that make it right in 2000? Uh, probably not, but I thought I was asking a very respectful question and got the answer uh, was very clear. I didn't know what the answer would be, but it was very clear. And so I guess you have to look at, again, who's offended. And if it's just a bunch of people that are offended by everything, then that's one thing. If, uh, if North American... Um, natives or North American citizens or North American Indians are offended, then I'll listen to them, but I'm not going to listen to people with too much time on their hands that think they want to stick up for the rights of others. Yeah. Being preemptively offended for someone else that they're not. And I agree with you a thousand percent on that one. I agree with you a thousand percent on that one, that I don't have a lot of time for people who will tell me that I, about how well, not even me. There are people who will tell other people that they should be offended by something. And that's, I don't think that's their place. Now on this though, I do think that the Cleveland baseball club, whatever they're going to be called now, regardless of whether or not you agree or disagree, I think they have, and I've said this for a long time because of this name thing, they have a massive opportunity here. And we talked about this, Don, I think you and I did with the Washington football team. You've got a massive opportunity at a time when you can now, if you do a good logo and a good name and something that works, you can make tens, hundreds of millions of dollars off merchandise and stuff, t-shirts and everything else that you're going to sell. If the Cleveland baseball team, and I think that they should go back to the original name, which was the Cleveland Spiders, because the opportunity for a cool logo and something kids would really like, especially young kids and something cartoony and kind of you have opportunity here to make a fortune if you do this right well and and sadly as i always think it goes to the money and if the owners of these franchises think that they can dine out on it by look look making themselves look like they're socially correct and oh by the way look at the windfall by being the Milwaukee Spiders, the Milwaukee Radleys, whatever it is. So all of a sudden, Cleveland Indian memorabilia and um, sweaters and jerseys is going to explode because everybody's going to want one because you won't be able to get them soon. 
and everybody's going to want the new one, then it's a marketing opportunity, as you've always pointed out, and I've always pointed out. It's all about the dollars and cents. So if all of a sudden they can sell 10 million new jerseys, are they really doing it for all the right reasons? Are they really doing it because it's 2020 and they should try and be politically correct? I don't know. I always think that when franchise owners look at stuff like this, they go, well, financially, it's probably a really good thing. Does that make them, does that make it better? I don't know. Well, I mean, look, it's a good point. Do, do you, but do you need to apply a purity test to the owners to say, okay, you're going to change the name. Why are you changing the name? Are you doing it for all the right reasons? I mean, th- then you get into something that's just like or- Orwellian that you, that you not only have to do the thing, but you have to fully believe the thing and buy into the thing. And how do we test that? I mean, look, if people are, if, if people legitimately are offended, and I think there is some question in this particular case. Uh, if people are really offended and you're changing the name, to me, that should be enough. And if it turns out that as a result of that, you can cash in, well, you know what? All the better for you. You do the right thing and it pays off for you. Now, well, the issue is that you have to do it right because go back to the days when the NHL had its expansion. There are some expansion teams that nobody, I mean, no, Don, nobody bought Ottawa Senators merchandise but everybody bought san jose sharks merchandise because it was cool and it was the right colors and it did everything else if you do it you have to you still have to do it right if you're going to change your colors and name and everything else yeah you do and it's they all do it i I saw part of the bills game yesterday and they were in all red uniforms Mm -hmm. now buffalo wore white pants white shirts and when they're on the road or at home, they would wear blue jerseys. Now they're all red. So, I mean, they've got more outfits than my wife has shoes. And that's, that's a lot of outfits and that's a lot of friggin' shoes. I can tell you right now. Right. So they, they do it for a marketing gig, but do they do it for the right reasons? I remember reading or hearing that the Chicago Blackhawks, when the Redskins, Washington, became the Washington football team or football club, uh, went to, and, I, and I'm really kind of, I hope you've done more research than I have, but uh, research isn't my game, but Chicago Blackhawks were intended to order, honor a tribe of Blackhawk Native Indians of North America. And they were not offended at the time for the Chicago Blackhawks to continue to honor them by using their name. So there's a couple ways to go. And if I recite that correctly, that's an interesting perspective on it. You know, you go out, and if they did, in fact, go out and, and, and do that, then is it a respectful thing? Eh, maybe. Yeah, it, but it goes back to your point about who is who is the one making the decision. Are we changing this because some people who are not Indigenous, who are not Native Americans, are offended and feeling preemptively offended for the people who are really at the center of this? Or are the people who are the North American Indians and the Indigenous people, are they offended? And, and I think those are two very, very, as you said, very different scenarios very different scenarios and should lead to a very different response. The first group, the first group 
in my opinion, have too much time in their hands. The second group, I have all the time in the world for. Sure, and it would be the same. Advocating for something that's not you because you think the people you're advocating for either aren't capable or don't know how to do it, then you know what? Bite me. Or Don, even worse... or even worse, don't think that they understand that they're supposed to be offended by this. They don't, they don't, they just don't get that they're supposed to be offended by this. I don't, I don't buy that. Yeah, no, I don't buy that. I think they are, I think people of all different groups are very capable of deciding for themselves whether something offends them or not. And I think if it does, then it's something we address and should address, and it would be proper to address it. But it's they, to me, it's their decision. And so I'm hoping that in this particular case with the Cleveland Indians, that they have spoken to enough native groups, indigenous groups, and they have said, you know what, it's time to change the name. And they've said, okay. And not just that they are bowing to whatever other groups because they feel somehow that this is what people want. I, you know, I, I hope that I, if you're going to name the team after them, I, I hope that they've had some say in this decision. And if they've, if they're saying we want it changed, 100% then fine that seems like a really good idea. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. This I'm going to let you start on because I have strong opinions on this what people are going to say well of course you do because you're biased. Fair enough, but I want to throw this one at you. Kyrie Irving, who is a basketball player now with the Brooklyn Nets, uh during training camp had refused to talk to any media. He was getting fined by the league for violating the media protocols, but the reason he said that he would not talk to the media is he says, I do not talk to pawns. My attention is worth more. And therefore he was not willing to waste his precious time speaking to reporters and columnists and TV people and everything who might have been promoting or exposing him to the people who pay his salaries. Am I giving away my position on this too much, Don? Um, What do you make of an athlete who has decided that the people who are covering the games are pawns and no longer worth the time of such an important person. Well, I'd say idiot, but that would be inappropriate because I don't want to get sued, but boneheaded um, might be one of the things. So, you know, it's when you want to be an athlete and the lion's share of people that are listening either have kids, grandkids, cousins, whoever, have played minor sports, who always wanted to aspire to play at the elite level, the National Hockey League level, the NBA level, CFL, NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever it is. And they all know what comes with that fame, the fame that they all crave. They want to make millions of dollars and they want to be famous. And now all of a sudden you get some guy that's aspired to that for his entire being. And now he doesn't want to talk to the people because he thinks they're minions. And I'll tell you that his agent is having a fit because there isn't one, one label, whether it's Nike or Adidas or ComChoice Realty or any of them, that want to attach their name to a guy that doesn't want to enhance his profile and be famous. It's foolhardy and crazy as far as I'm concerned 
and he's full of it. And quite frankly, I think the biggest motivation to doing it would be to garner more attention. Now, the only way he can be proved right, in my humble opinion, is that people quit talking about it, present company excluded. So just ignore the guy and let him go away and see how the sponsors react. Because I think he's doing it so he can get more attention. I do agree with you that if all of a sudden over the course of the year, no reporter of any outlet, of any radio, TV, newspaper, magazine, whatever, internet, if nobody approached him and nobody spoke to him and nobody even mentioned him, suddenly I have a feeling that he would be very bent out of shape because, you know, well, listen, we can't vote for you for player of the game because that requires you to talk to us. So you, you're never going to get that. We're not ever going to talk to you on the court after a game, you know, when the players are leaving because you had a good game. We're never going to do, we're always going to do your teammates. One thing that I've learned about a lot of athletes, not all of them, but a lot of them, is exactly what you just said, Don. It's all fine until you're no longer the center of attention. And then suddenly that matters. I'll say one other thing. My experience, and I've now been doing this for a long time, as you have, but I've been doing this in sports writing and stuff for a long time. There are most of the people that I have dealt with on the way up who have come out of Hamilton or wherever else that I have dealt with and who I've covered coming up along the way before they were big time have been invariably great about remembering who was interested in them when they were, for lack of a better term, a nobody. And I'll give you one perfect example, and there's many, many of them. I shouldn't pick one out, but Cam Talbot, who is now the goalie for, who's he with now? I can't even remember who he signed with. He was with Calgary last year. Um, a guy who was not drafted in the OHL, not drafted in the NHL, eventually played for the Hamilton Red Wings, went down to University of Alabama Huntsville, and then signed a contract with her. Anyway, he was a nobody. But because I had talked to him a few times and done a few stories on him, I can call him anytime and he will pick up the phone anytime and he is great. There are others though, a few who forget when they get to the highest league, they forget who was interested in them once upon a time. But you want to know something, and I know you know this because you deal with guys, you've you've coached guys and worked with guys who play senior hockey. So their their biggest years of their biggest fame is now a little bit behind them. All these guys, when suddenly no one is interested in them anymore, they all then want the attention, or many of them do, when they're on their way back down. And I'm telling you, Kyrie Irving taking this position, if he really sticks to his guns on this one and nobody pays any more attention to him and then on his way down, nobody bothers anymore, I don't believe for a second that he will find this a comfortable place for himself. Not a, not a bit. No, and he will reap what he sows. And I would hope that because now he's kind of at the pinnacle, right? Where he thinks everybody needs to talk to him. And he will find in short order, we talked about it maybe even last week, about a bunch of the guys that, that uh, played for the Real McCoys and played in the NHL and the American League. They're now grateful for any young guy. And if they're not, I remind them. But they go back out and they make sure that they sign every autograph like Bobby Hall did. Never, ever, ever lose sight of where you are and what you are. Because one day it's over. 
One day yep. you're going to be walking yep. into JL Greitmeyer Arena, and nobody's going to know except for the old timers who the hell you are. And you know what? If you do the right thing on the way up, you will always be respected on the way down. And the one name that I'm going to re, uh, going to suggest that is really important is Mac Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's you, you there's can call, there's you another can one. Call Mackenzie Hughes whenever you want, and Mackenzie Hughes will return your phone call because you wrote about him and you talked about him and you gave him the respect, and he's returning that respect. Yep, hundred percent. This this clown is. If, if the Americans will do it, because more uh, Canadians, re, if the reporters will do what I say, just ignore him. And he will come begging for publicity. Let me throw one other quote at you, Don. Let me throw one other quote that he said. So if he finally apparently gave his precious time to some media members today briefly. And this is the quote. Now, I have not heard this quote. This is a written quote. So I'm only going by what I'm reading, but it's from a respectable, reliable website. Uh, answering why he didn't or isn't talking. I, it's really just about how I felt about the mistreatment of certain artists when we get to a certain platform of when we make decision within our lives to have full control and ownership. So he's no longer even an athlete, Don. He's an artist now. He's a basketball artist. At which point I say, you want to know something? You didn't want to talk to me. If I'm a reporter, you don't want to talk to me. I'm covering basketball, not art. So when you come down off your absolute high horse here, uh, we'll chat again. But until you're willing to acknowledge that you're not really an artist, because uh, I'm sorry, that that's that is just, I don't even know where to start with that kind of thing, that you're now calling yourself an artist as a basketball player. He's a great basketball player, no question about it. But come on, come on. Um, but, but yeah, what did he graduate? What did he graduate with? I don't. Basketball, I don't know. Basketball. Yeah, oh, sure. At his university. No, he graduated with basketball, and that's fine. That's what he went to university for. So that's totally fine that he went on. I, I applaud that that he turned it into his career, and that's great that he did this. But there's one other thing about this. We only have a minute or so left. There's only one other. There's one other thing about this. The fans. Unfortunately, because it would be great if the fans could have full access all the time to all the athletes and ask them all the questions, get answers. It's just the way the system is and the way things work. that The media is the conduit and tries to bring the athletes to the fans and ask questions that the fans would be interested in. That's the, 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 the media in some ways, and I'm not trying to pump us up or anything, but we are, we try to be the voice of the fans at times. And by saying this to the media, you're essentially also saying it to the fans that I don't have time for you. And the fans are the one, I don't even know what Kyrie Irving makes this year, but it's, I'm, it's over 20 million, 25 million, probably 30 million. That's because of the fans paying the money. Y- you are living the life you are living because of fans whose conduit is the media and to take the position. I'm sorry. I, I find it just so aggravating and, and not because I'm in the media. I don't, I personally don't care if I'm there and you don't want to talk to me. I'll find someone else. I'll do a different story. That's totally fine. It's just the dismissiveness of anybody beneath you and your artistic level of artisanship. Come on. It's a joke. Well, the old saying is Scott, when they quit talking about you, it's over. 
We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I will be very surprised if Kyrie Irving has the year of all years. I'll be interested to see how many of the pawns vote for him for player of the year or MVP. And I, and I bet, and I bet that he's got some sort of performance bonus in there and will be truly stung if suddenly he gets no votes for MVP this year. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, did you hear the story this week? I know you're, uh, you're a guy who has spent some time running a hockey franchise in Brantford. You know the Gretzky legend. You've probably met Wayne at some point along the way. Did you see the story about the Wayne Gretzky rookie card from this week? I did. I did. I wish I had one. Yeah, sold for 1.29 million U.S. 1.29 million. Now, I have two Wayne Gretzky rookie cards at home here that I found when I was cleaning I'll out the house. A bigger house. Yeah, no, I, I was cleaning out the last house we lived in when we first bought our first house and we were getting ready to move. And I thought my mom had thrown out all of my hockey cards. And all of a sudden there's this plastic bag of cards. And for some reason, a bunch of them were not all smashed up. They hadn't been flipped or put in spokes or whatever else. And I'm flipping through them. And all of a sudden I get to this one and I immediately get on the phone to a card shop in Hamilton. I say, what does a Wayne Gretzky rookie card look like? And he told me and I said, oh, I've got one. And he goes, well, don't bend it, whatever you do. And I start going through the rest and there's a second one, a few cards later. So I am, um, I am hoping that both of them are worth 1.29 million. They're both perfect. And, uh, that this is the last you'll hear of me. <laughs> you can really? agree to that last part. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I somehow do not think that, uh, they're worth 1.29 million, but it really, it's amazing to think that I think if I recall correctly, and I could be off, but I think cards for the 1979-80 season that year, they were around 20 cents a pack. You could buy a pack for about 20 cents and you'd get five or gum. six or eight cards and bad gum. But you think so. So let's say you got six cards in a pack for 20 cents or five cards. It's like four cents a piece. And now it's worth 1.29 million. I mean, it's just, it's, it's. Dare to dream, right? I mean, holy cow. That's like the lottery, right? Like, who would have thought? I, I, I was a linesman in a game when the Toronto Young Nats played in the Ontario Finals against the Stratford Cullisons in probably 89, 88. No. Oh, my goodness, no. A lot longer. No, but anyway, whenever Wayne was playing Junior B, can you imagine if there was pictures around and stuff like that back then? There was no photographers at the game. The odd guy took a shot at Gretzky, but to think that that stuff at that age is worth... Now, listen, his boss, former boss, Bruce McNall, and maybe Gretzky bought a Honus Wagner, if I pronounce that right. Yep. You know, me and my pronunciations. There was like a million bucks back when he bought the Argos. That stuff is crazy in pricing. If you had... A Gretzky rookie card in your possession right now, and you could put it up the, for auction and maybe get one point two nine million, and then you take off the sales amount. So let's say you make one point two million Canadian. If you had one of those and you could get one point two million Canadian today, would you do it or would you hold it, saying, "Well, it's only going to go up in value, and I can probably get double that in five or six years"? Are, are you a are you a speculator or are you a seller? 
Oh, I'm a seller, Scott. I'm a, I'm 107 years old. I'm selling now. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It's 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 going to go up in value. But holy cow! I mean, it, but I mean, he's not. Nothing's going to happen. I don't think. To Gretzky's reputation, and when I say that, I say nothing will happen to Wayne's reputation that will diminish the value. But in this crazy world, if something happened to his reputation, it may be worth more. Yeah, no, it um, it it could be. I'll, I'll say this: it, it really. Uh, it, it really says something, you know, when we always have these debates about who's the greatest hockey player, who's the greatest hockey player, I, I don't know that this resolves that debate, but I think to some degree it resolves who a lot of people think is the greatest hockey player because it's worth a lot more than even Bobby Orr. It's worth a lot more than a Rocket Richard card. It's worth a lot more than a Mario Lemieux card. It's worth a lot more than a Gordie Howe card. Um, again, I don't think it resolves anything but it tells you something about who collectors seem to think is the greatest. Yeah, I agree. We've had that conversation with who's the best before, and I always say, who, who cares? Because Bobby Orr was as great as he was in the right era, and you can't compare compare eras. And Agreed. Absolutely. You're right. But you're right. It's uh, I, don't, I don't get why Bobby Orr isn't worth a million bucks, but... I clearly don't understand what Wayne Gretzky's is worth 1.2. So I'm a bad analysis of uh, value on that stuff. Well, I, I will be uh, I will be going through, after seeing this, I'm going back through all my cards that I've still got again to see if uh, I've got any others. I mean, it's uh, clearly the card business. I thought the card business had died, Don. I mean, that's just, that's just me. I thought for a while there it seemed to go right into the tank, but clearly not the case. Clearly this is something that... Um, there is still a I'll massive, you, massive market for. I'll tell you, economic times like this change that stuff. And if you look back historically, um, you know, everybody's talking about gold and when, you know, what's a dollar worth and everything else. You always go back to priceless items. And those are priceless items. And the economy cycles, right? So people think there's value in that. Do I? Well, not that kind of value, but... I mean, I I might pay you ten grand for that card, but that's a snack bracket I'm in. So if I paid I ten thousand, if I paid ten thousand dollars for any card, uh, I'm fearful for my life when I come home and tell my wife. <laughs> I have, I I have, as you know, met your wife, and your your fears are well founded. <laughs> She'll so, be delighted well, me, to know. <laughs> That you said Let me that. ask you: is it, is it snowing at your place? Uh, I don't know. I'm in the basement. I don't see uh, the daylight ever. I'm, I'm in my office at the compound, and it's starting to snow here. Well, and just getting ready you, for Christmas. I, I hope we get snow for Christmas. And my dream for Christmas is that I can see Walter driving down my laneway in his snowplow, so we can get the grandkids in. And if it snows now and it keeps snowing, I I might not get a chance to say this later, but boy, it'd be nice to have a white Christmas after all these. It it absolutely would. Crap, Don, crap, we got a crap crap we've been through. I, I agreed hundred percent. Gotta run. Thank you so much for doing this again this week. Appreciate your time. All right, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.